Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville. In my last two programs, I've been happy to give an overview of Pope Benedict XVI's third encyclical letter, that is, a letter to circle the globe, Caritas in Veritate, Charity in Truth. Not only have I given an overview of the document and its key terms, I focused in the last program on social teaching of the church throughout the document and I began a turn looking at the life issues in the Holy Father's letter. We got as far as the second paragraph of the 28th article. In today's program I'd like to continue our focus on the life issues. In the third paragraph of the 28th article of Pope Benedict XVI's third encyclical Caritas in Veritate, we read, quote, Some non-governmental organizations work actively to spread abortion, at times promoting the practice of sterilization in poor countries, in some cases not even informing the women concerned. Moreover, there is reason to suspect that development aid is sometimes linked to specific health care policies which, de facto, involve the imposition of strong birth control measures. Further grounds for concern are laws permitting euthanasia, as well as pressure from lobby groups, nationally and internationally, in favor of its juridical recognition, end quote. While the Holy Father does not specifically mention or identify which non-governmental organizations he has in mind, Planned Parenthood comes to mind here in Knoxville, recently trying to open in the Bearden area. This is a non-governmental organization, although so much of its funding does come from the federal Congress taxpayers' money, their primary business being the provision of abortion, killing the unborn in the mother's womb. Sterilization, another crime against the Fifth Commandment, mutilation of the body, either the elective voluntary hysterectomy or vasectomy. These are all things which disfigure the human person. Euthanasia is mentioned by the Holy Father. He doesn't mention death panels, but it's interesting how timely, how topical our Holy Father's encyclical is and how wonderful it is that he gave a copy to our president during their recent visit in Rome. Euthanasia has been legalized in our country in certain states. Jack Kevorkian is the infamous doctor of death. Sometimes this is called mercy killing, but so often we're having mercy on ourselves. This is not to refuse palliative care or pain-killing procedures, but it's one thing to cease the pain. It's another to cease the life. Direct, voluntary, or involuntary euthanasia is never allowed, is always contrary to the moral law, the fifth commandment of God, thou shall not kill. Pope Benedict XVI continues his presentation on the life issues when he concludes Article 28 of his third encyclical letter, Caritas in Veritate, 
by saying, quote, openness to life is at the center of true development, end quote. This is a social encyclical presenting the teaching of the church, the teaching of the church regarding true development, development not only of the material life, the physiological visible development of society and of human beings, but also the spiritual development. Openness to life, not only the heartbeat, the growth, the development of the spiritual life, the soul, but also openness to a life of grace, openness to a life in Christ, a life in communion. This is all part of our understanding, part of our intellectual capacity, living according to our nature, virtuous in solidarity. Pope Benedict XVI continues his presentation of the life issues in his third encyclical, Caritas in Veritate, Charity and Truth, in Article 75. Here's a longer quote from that article. Paul VI had already recognized and drawn attention to the global dimension of the social question. Following his lead, we need to affirm today that the social question has become a radically anthropological question in the sense that it concerns not just how life is conceived, but also how it is manipulated as biotechnology places it increasingly under man's control. In vitro fertilization, embryo research, the possibility of manufacturing clones and human hybrids, all this is now emerging and being promoted in today's highly disillusioned culture, which believes it has mastered every mystery because the origin of life is now within our grasp. Here we see the clearest expression of technology's supremacy. In this type of culture, the conscience is simply invited to take note of technological possibilities. Yet we must not underestimate the disturbing scenarios that threaten our future, or the powerful new instruments that the culture of death has at its disposal. To the tragic and widespread scourge of abortion, we may well have to add in the future. Indeed, it is already surreptitiously present the systematic eugenic programming of births. At the other end of the spectrum, a pro-euthanasia mindset is making inroads as an equally damaging assertion of control over life that under certain circumstances is deemed no longer worth living. Underlying these scenarios are cultural viewpoints that deny human dignity. These practices in turn foster a materialistic and mechanistic understanding of human life. Who could measure the negative effects of this kind of mentality for development? This longer quote I've just read from Article 75 of the Holy Father's letter speaks to us of many things. A social question, an anthropological question, conscience, 
different sorts of crimes, in vitro fertilization, embryo research, manufacturing clones, human hybrids, abortion, eugenic programming of births, pro-euthanasia mindset. All of these things are significant and worthy of our consideration, our appreciation for what they are. What is a social question? Remember, there was a final solution in National Socialist Germany. The social question, how ought we live in society together? An anthropological question, what is the human person? What does it mean to be a human being? If we cease to ask questions like these, if we say there are no true answers to these sorts of questions, we have already posited how we should live in society, a brutish society. We've already decided what sort of beings we are, no longer rational animals made in the image and likeness of God, brothers and sisters to each other, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. When we say that we can conceive and dispatch in glass dishes, when it does not matter how we are brought into being. When we say that the conscience is no voice at all, when we are happy to join Margaret Sanger in her program of eugenicism, when we're happy to kill those with abandon who are sick or aged, which is how Hitler got his beginning, then we have gone down a wrong path, a terribly wrong path a path which disregards true human development, which disregards human life, as well as the intentions of the author of life, Almighty God. It is important for us to remember that each time we hear the Holy Father speak, he does not speak on his own behalf. He speaks because Christ has said to Peter, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Feed my lambs feed my sheep. And we're not just talking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're talking about the real spiritual food we need to follow the Lord and the giver of life, who is none other than God himself. Having given an overview of our Holy Father Pope Benedict XVI's third encyclical, Charity and Truth, Caritas and Veritate, having gone over some of the key terms, having given a focused presentation on the social teaching of the Church and the life issues in Caritatis and Veritati, I thought it would be good to focus now on the family. There are over 27 references in our Holy Father's third encyclical on the family, and as the father of the family of God on earth, which is Mother Church, how good for us to seek true development integral human development in the family. The first mention of the family in the Holy Father's third encyclical comes in Article 2. The Holy Father says, quote, Every responsibility and every commitment spelt out by that doctrine, the social doctrine of the church, is derived from charity, love for God, love for neighbor, which, according to the teaching of Jesus, is the synthesis of the entire law. See St. Matthew, chapter 22, 
verses 36 through 40. It gives real substance to the personal relationship with God and with neighbor. It is the principle not only of micro-relationships with friends, with family members, or within small groups, but also of macro-relationships, social, economic, and political ones, end quote. Here we see the Holy Father making a juxtaposition between macro and micro. The, the nuclear family, mommy, daddy, husband, wife, grandma, grandpa, cousins. And then we see the social family of society, of the town, of the city, of the county, of the state. The Holy Father next speaks about the family in Article 7 of his third encyclical, Charity and Truth, Caritas in Veritate. He continues, quote, when animated by charity, love for God, love for neighbor, love for self as God would have us do, commitment to the common good has greater worth than a merely secular and political stand would have. Like all commitment to justice, it has a place within the testimony of divine charity that paves the way for eternity through temporal action, action in time. Man's earthly activity, when inspired and sustained by charity, contributes to the building of the universal city of God, which is the goal of the history of the human family, end quote. The human family, God's family, the city of God on earth. Still in Article 7, the Holy Father continues, quote, In an increasingly globalized society, the common good and the effort to obtain it cannot fail to assume the dimensions of the whole human family, that is to say, the community of peoples and nations, in such a way as to shape the earthly city in unity and peace, rendering it to some degree in anticipation and a prefiguration of the undivided city of God." End quote. This repeated reference the Holy Father makes to the city of God uh, reminds us that his early theological work was based on St. Augustine. Church is the people and the dwelling place of God in the writings of St. Augustine. City of God, of course, is the great historical work the Bishop of Hippo had written. When we see the Holy Father's use of the phrase whole human family, uh, that is the human race, all of those human beings living on the face of the planet, those who have come before us, those who would follow after us, we see it used in an extensive form, not just the immediate mommy and daddy, brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles, grandparents, cousins. We see it as the family of the human race, significant community of peoples. Pope Benedict Sixteenth next reference to the family in his third encyclical, Caritas in Veritate, Charity and Truth, comes in Article 25, where he says, quote, Being out of work or dependent on public or private assistance for a prolonged period undermines the freedom and creativity of the person and his family and social relationships, causing great psychological and spiritual suffering, end quote. Here we see the Holy Father focusing on the importance of relationships, on the importance of freedom, and the importance of creativity. If indeed, and we are, made to the image and likeness of God, 
no one forced God to create us, and God created us, and if we're in his image, we are to be creators likewise, and this is what we do when we work. Homo faber, making man, man who makes things. There was a time before the internet or before the radio that any and all of these exist have to do with the ingenuity of their creators. Think of Edison, think of Gates. The focus here, though, is on the family, the husband and the wife, the parents and their children, psychological sufferings, spiritual sufferings, not just material or physical. This is reminding us that integral human development, the overarching concern of the encyclical, extends even to the family not just a roof over our head or clothes on our back or food in our bellies, but souls well-developed, intelligence, imagination, relationships. How tangible are our relationships? Pope Benedict XVI's next reference to the family in his third encyclical, Charity and Truth, is found in Article 33. He says, quote, the principal new feature has been the explosion of worldwide interdependence, commonly known as globalization. Paul VI had partially foreseen it, but the ferocious pace at which it has evolved could not have been anticipated. Originating within economically developed countries, this process by its nature has spread to include all economies. It has been the principal driving force behind the emergence from underdevelopment of whole regions, and in itself represents a great opportunity. Nevertheless, without the guidance of charity in truth, caritas in veritate, this global force could cause unprecedented damage and create new divisions within the human family. Hence, charity and truth caritas et veritas, confront us with an altogether new and creative challenge, one that is certainly vast and complex." End quote. When we hear the Holy Father yet again speak of the family in this article, 33, he speaks not just of the nuclear mommy and daddy, kids and cousins, grandpa and grandma, but he's speaking of the whole race, la raza humana, the human race, the human family, all people of all times, all nations. In this sense, the Holy Father is speaking in a very Catholic way. In Article 42 of the Holy Father's third encyclical letter, Caritas and Veritate, he continues to teach us about the family. Quote, the truth of globalization as a process and its fundamental ethical criterion are given by the unity of the human family and its development towards what is good." End quote. The human family, again, spoken of as the race, not just the integral mommy and daddy, grandpa and grandma, nephews and nieces, cousins, the whole race. Globalization also mentioned here, the global village, if you like. Pope Benedict XVI further speaks of the family in Article 44 of his third encyclical. Quote, 
the notion of rights and duties in development must also take account of the problem associated with population growth. This is a very important aspect of authentic development since it concerns the inalienable values of life and the family. End quote. When some people hear the phrase population growth, they think of population explosion. People disregard the value of life, that the child is the greatest gift God gives in marriage, and that marriage is ordered not only to the good of the spouses, the husband and the wife, but to the generation and the education of children. Very important for us to remember these things. The Holy Father continues in Article 44, quote, To consider population increase as the primary cause of underdevelopment is mistaken, even from an economic point of view. Suffice it to consider, on the one hand, the significant reduction of infant mortality and the rise in average life expectancy found in economically developed countries and, on the other hand, the signs of crisis observable in societies that are registering an alarming decline in their birth rate. Due attention must obviously be given to responsible procreation, which, among other things, has a positive contribution to make to integral human development." End quote. Here we're reminded, when the Holy Father uses the phrase responsible procreation, that Mother Church does not demand of husbands and wives to have a hundred children. Surely, if they're so generous, they can have as many as they can. But we should only engage in uh, making love responsibly, of course, with all concern for the moral uh, rectitude of the act. And so recourse to the uh, natural periods of infertility. There is the couple-to-couple -couple league, symptothermal methods of uh, regulation of births. There's the Creighton model, NAPRO technology, which focuses on the quality of the cervical mucus. Even when Mother Teresa was still about her ministry in Calcutta, the Hindu women would approach her not because Pope Paul VI had written his letter back in the 60s or because the teaching of the church spoke of such matters. It was because they did not want to introduce carcinogens, chemicals, which might cause excessive bleeding or stroke or cancer. They wanted to grow in the virtue of chastity, in the virtue of temperance, in the virtue of prudence and fortitude. And so Mother Teresa was well able to teach these women, even as her sisters learned the natural family planning, not because they were engaging in sexual activity, but because they would offer their own fertility as a further way of consecrating their chastity to Almighty God in their professed religious life. Pope Benedict XVI continues in Article 44, saying, quote, The Church, in her concern for man's authentic development, urges him to have full respect for human values in the exercise of his sexuality. It cannot be reduced merely to pleasure or entertainment, nor can sex education be reduced to 
technical instruction aimed solely at protecting the interested parties from possible disease or the, quote, risk, end quote, of procreation. This would be to impoverish and disregard the deeper meaning of sexuality, a meaning which needs to be acknowledged and responsibly appropriated not only by individuals, but also by the community. It is irresponsible to view sexuality merely as a source of pleasure and likewise to regulate it through strategies of mandatory birth control. In either case, materialistic ideas and policies at work and individuals are ultimately subjected to various forms of violence. Against such policies, there is a need to defend the primary competence of the family in the area of sexuality, as opposed to the state and its restrictive policies, and to ensure that parents are suitably prepared to undertake their responsibilities." End quote. Here we see, again, the principle of subsidiarity in act, the higher authority helping the lower authority to fulfill its responsibility, its work, its job, its munis, munara. So we don't have the president or the governor or the mayor collecting the trash. There's the garbage man to do that. Important work it is. We don't have Big Brother telling Mommy and Daddy how many children they ought to have or how many brothers and sisters we are to have. This is properly left to the parents of the family. Sure, prudence is encouraged. Virtue is encouraged. Temperance and fortitude, self-control, no question. But there are states around the world, China comes to mind, one family one child. This does not replace the workforce. This does not replace the population. Then we have not only a brain drain, but a worker drain, a taxpayer drain, a voter drain. For those to call procreation a risk, they disregard the greatest gift God gives in marriage, the child. In this Article 44, the Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, speaks of technical instruction uh, regarding the regulation of births. I spoke earlier of the couple-to-couple -couple league or the Creighton model. These are not merely technical instructions, but there's a spiritual dimension there. If we are stingy, if we are not generous, if we do not recognize the great responsibility uh, involved in parenthood, then we are just looking at technical business. Technical realities such as barrier methods or spermicides or God knows what. Not only are diseases possibilities as results of promiscuity, but there's also a spiritual side effect or spiritual consequences such as lives of intemperance, lives of unchastity, lives of disillusion. These things are anti-development or they are a development of vice not only personally in our lives but in our society. These are things which our Holy Father Pope Benedict XVI would like us to avoid, since the Lord God has called each of us and all of us together to live holy lives, 
to be saints in this world, giving glory to the God who made us, who has redeemed us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our brother, our God. Pope Benedict XVI wraps up Article 44 by saying, quote, Furthermore, smaller and at times minuscule families run the risk of impoverishing social relations and failing to ensure effective forms of solidarity. These situations are symptomatic of scant confidence in the future and moral weariness. It is thus becoming a social and even economic necessity once more to hold up to future generations the beauty of marriage and the family and the fact that these institutions correspond to the deepest needs and dignity of the person. In view of this, states are called to enact policies promoting the centrality and the integrity of the family founded on marriage between a man and a woman, the primary vital cell of society, and to assume responsibility for its economic and physical needs while respecting its essentially relational character. End quote. Next time I'll continue by speaking about this passage. Until then, God bless you and your families as you seek to grow in charity and in truth.